Hey girl, welcome to the Empower Her podcast, where we are all about taking purpose-driven action toward building lives we really freaking love. My name's Keisha, and I'm an entrepreneur obsessed with giving you actual tools to help take you from where you are now to where you want to go in your life, career, and relationships. And this podcast, it's all about real talk and having some fun as we share incredible stories, tips, and tricks to help us get out of our own way and unapologetically make some moves. So girlfriend, let's do the damn thing. Hey girl, I am so excited that you're here for today's episode because we have on the show Lori Gottlieb. And if you're not familiar with Lori, she's a psychotherapist and she's also a New York Times bestselling author of one of my favorite books ever, which is called Maybe You Should Talk to Someone. She also has a podcast called Dear Therapist that she co-hosts with another therapist. She's a nationally recognized journalist and she's a weekly columnist for The Atlantic with her segment called Dear Therapist therapist. Today's episode is so juicy. It's literally jam-packed with so much advice from Lori around topics about change and transitions and growth and fear and suffering and just being a human in the world today. So I think you're really going to connect with this. Um, You might honestly have to listen to this episode twice because it's so juicy. So without further ado, let's dive right in. Lori, I am so excited that you're here. Thank you so much for being on the show. My pleasure. I am a huge fan of your book and I rave about it all the time. So I'm excited to just get to pick your brain on a couple of the topics that you covered in your book. But before we start, can you just tell people why you wanted to write this book? Maybe you should talk to someone. Yeah. So it's funny because in Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, I talk about the process of how I came to write the book because I was supposed to be writing a different book about happiness that was actually making me depressed. (laughs) And the (laughs) irony was not lost on me that I was trying to write about happiness, but it was making me miserable. I ended up calling it the miserable depression inducing happiness book. And the reason that I felt like I couldn't write that book was that it didn't reflect what I was seeing as a therapist every day in my office. It didn't reflect the human condition. And what I think is so um, was such a privilege about what I get to do is I get to see people at their most real. And I think that that almost serves as a mirror to help me see life differently too. And I wanted readers to be able to see that. And so I decided with maybe you should talk to someone to bring people into the therapy room where in, in the book you watch the, the struggles of four very seemingly different people as they go through whatever challenges they're going through. And then there's a fifth patient in the book. And that fifth patient is me as I'm going through my own struggle and I decide I'm going to go to a therapist. And so it's very much um, kind of a behind the scenes look at what we don't talk enough about and what we need to talk more about. Oh, and I love the way that you share, you know, patients that you've worked with, but also your own personal experience because it just builds this connective tissue where the whole time I'm reading it, I'm like, I feel like I'm chatting with a therapist, but also with a girlfriend. And that type of dialogue just really helps hit all of these components home so well. So thank you so much for writing this book, first and foremost. Yeah, well, thank you for reading it. And that that's exactly the point of it is that I say at the very beginning of the book that my greatest credential is that I'm a card-carrying member of the human race. I didn't yes. want to present 
just my patients and feel like, well, I'm the expert up on high. I wanted to show that ultimately we're all more the same than we are different. And so that's why I wanted to show my story as both therapist and patient. Yes. Okay. So one topic that I loved from your book is this concept that you referred to of the fact that you can't avoid pain because that's part of being human, but that you don't have to choose the suffering. And I think this parallels through a lot of the storylines in the book, but can you kind of just give us an overarching, like what's your take from a therapist and a human perspective of, of how we can kind of channel this to not choose to suffer? Right. Well, that's something that comes out in my therapy with my therapist. And at a certain point, I was going through a breakup and I was doing all the things that people do when they go through a breakup. Um, You know, Google stalking the ex, making up all kinds of stories about what it means if he posted a picture in a restaurant and how can he even eat and does he even think about me and, you know, all of those things that we do. And um, at one point, my therapist said, you know, Everybody experiences pain. Pain is inevitable. It's part of the human condition. But sometimes we create our own suffering. And I was doing exactly that. I was creating my own suffering. I was going to feel the pain and the grief of losing the relationship, but I didn't have to suffer so much. And I think that, you know, when you see in all the stories in the book, you see how people are not trying to, because obviously we want to feel better. We don't want to, we don't want to feel so much. Uh, We don't want to suffer so much, but I think that you see the ways in which unwittingly we end up creating our own suffering. Yeah. So when you catch someone, you know, when you're working with someone and you catch that they're doing that, like, what are some things for, you know, the listeners that they, they're like, maybe I am kind of choosing suffering. How do we acknowledge that we're doing that? And then how do we actually get out of that? Well, I think part of it has to do with this story that people tell themselves. Um, You know, a big theme in maybe you should talk to someone is this idea of the narrative that we walk around with in the world and how it becomes sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. And in the book, I talk about how Um, You know, I think a lot of people feel like they're coming to therapy to get to know themselves. But to me, therapy is really a process of getting to unknow yourself, to let go of the limiting stories that you've been telling yourself about yourself so that you can live your life and not this faulty narrative that you've been telling yourself about your life. I actually did a TED Talk about this as well. And I think it's so important because I feel like that's how people get stuck. And that's where the suffering comes in is because they just keep kind of reliving this story and they don't realize that they're actually free. They feel trapped. Most people, you know, when they're suffering, they feel trapped by a circumstance or another person or their mind or whatever it might be. And I think that what therapy does, it helps you to find a way out. Mm -hmm. So powerful. So, okay. Obviously, this last year has been such a curveball for everybody in so many different ways. And you do talk a lot about change and how, you know, you can't have change without loss. So can you explain kind of how you help people manage? And I know you talk a lot about this in the book, but how you help people manage change in general, since so often that's such a hard thing for us to navigate. Right. I would say if there was one overarching theme in the book, it was about how do we change? And there's even a chapter of the book called How Humans Change. And I think what makes change so challenging is that often we say we want to change. Think of New Year's resolutions, for example, but even in bigger ways, you know, we say we want to change. And then it becomes so hard to make even really positive changes, changes that we know will be really good for us. And, and, you know, we know that they're, 
they're changes that will result in something positive. We have so much trouble doing that, partly because what, you know, this thing about that you mentioned from the book that change travels with loss. And what I mean by that is that you can't have change without loss because you lose the familiar. You lose what you have now. And humans don't do well with uncertainty. And so what happens is we end up saying to ourselves, and again, this is completely out of our awareness, well, I'd rather take the thing that I know than to go into the unknown, even if the unknown might be better for me. And so it's very hard to move into kind of, you know, something new, something uncertain, something that's not familiar to you. It's the reason that people keep dating the same kinds of people over and over. It's the reason that somebody won't, um, you know, deal with an addiction or deal with sort of an unhealthy relationship pattern. It's the reason that somebody will stay stuck in a job for a really long time because they're afraid of change. And so this, this chapter in the book, How Humans Change, goes through the different stages of change, because I think a lot of people imagine that you make a decision to change and then you make the change and then you're done. But obviously that's not how it works because, you know, you know, people don't, people either don't make the decision or they make the decision and it doesn't last. And so there's this whole, um, I think, you know, phenomenon that happens inside that we're not even aware of where there's the pre-contemplation phase where you don't even know you're thinking about change. And then there's the contemplation phase where you're thinking about it, but you're not ready to do anything. And then there's the preparation phase where you're preparing to do it, but you still haven't done it. And then there's the action phase where you've actually made the change, but that's not the last step. The last step and the most important one is maintenance. So how do you maintain the change? And people think that if you make a change and then you slip up, like, oh, I'm going to exercise or I'm going to, you know, whatever you're going to do that's better for you, or I'm going to break up with this person, but oops, I slipped up and I texted them, that the change didn't stick. And that's not what's happening. What's actually happening is in maintenance, you are going to slip back and then you just get right back on track. And so maintenance is so important and people need to have compassion for themselves during the maintenance phase. They need to have realistic expectations for themselves and they need to just pick themselves up and keep going instead of saying, well, I failed. Mm, So powerful. So when someone's coming to you that is navigating just like a, a tough change in their life, what are some of like the questions that you're asking them, them that maybe people listening to this could ask themselves if they're just having a really hard time navigating maybe a change in a relationship status or a change in a physical location or a job or they're starting a new business and like it just feels really overwhelming? Like how can they kind of self-soothe and maybe ask themselves some better questions in that process? I think the most important question is what is so frightening to you about this? Because what holds us back is fear. And sometimes we don't know what the fear is about. Is it fear of failing? Is it fear of something working out? Um, There's a woman in the book who has what we call cherophobia, which is fear of joy, because every time as a child that she would get her hopes up that something good was going to happen or something good had happened, the other shoe would drop. And, you know, it's sort of like, oh, my depressed mom is actually here with me right now and she's she's in a good mood, but it won't last. So don't get too comfortable with something good happening. So, you know, there are lots of people who, again, without realizing it, feel like, well, joy is dangerous. Happiness is dangerous. Contentment is dangerous because it won't last and I won't survive the fall. And so sometimes when people are trying to make a change, they're afraid of something. And the thing that they're afraid of is that it will work out. 
So there are people who are afraid that it won't work out, but there are also people who are afraid that it will work out. And then what do they do with that anxiety that comes up when things are going well? Because some people cannot tolerate it when things go well, because they're always worried about the crash. What's going to happen that's going to ruin this? It's such an important topic too. And I love that, you know, that was one of the characters in the book because you, you don't hear this talked about often, right? Like people aren't talking about the fact that, you know, often we get caught up in this idea of like, oh, if it starts going well, then like, I'm just waiting for the next shoe to drop, like you mentioned. And I I think that a lot of times people feel like that's weird or abnormal, but can you kind of speak to the spectrum of that, of like how often you run into people that are really afraid of happiness and that they're going to lose it at any given point in time? Like how common is this in your, in your practice and all of the patients that you've worked with? I think it really depends on the person. And again, you said it's like a spectrum. So it depends on, you know, how um, intense that fear is. And for some people it's very mild and for other people it's much more intense. But I do think that there are a lot of people who feel more comfortable in their old patterns. We call that repetition compulsion. Freud called it repetition compulsion. I'm not a Freudian, by the way. But um, but it, it's something that you do see where people, for example, if you had a very withholding parent, you might then start dating people who are not going to commit to you or who are going to kind of like be there in a lot of ways where it seems like they're in, but they're really not. Um, And so, you know, the unconscious has this way of saying, oh, you look familiar, come closer. And we don't realize it because we think I'm going to find someone who is the opposite of that person who didn't meet my needs when I was younger. But often what happens is if you don't work out your stuff, you keep going after the same people because it feels comfortable. And when you meet people who can actually give you what you want, that's where the cherophobia comes in. That's where the anxiety comes in of, oh, this feels really good. Ooh, that doesn't, that feels really awkward that it feels good. I don't know what to do with good. That makes me really nervous. They don't trust it. They don't trust the good feeling. So, you know, there's this saying, we marry our unfinished business, which means that if you don't work out your unfinished business, you are going to marry the person who feels familiar in ways that maybe don't make you feel good. Ooh, that's, do you ever just say something? You're like, this feels like this could be put on a t-shirt because (laughs) I feel like you have a lot of good one-liners. Okay. So in regard to change in general and some of the anxiousness that comes with that. Can you share with us, I know it's really specific person to person, but can you share with us a couple of like tactical things when, you know, all of the therapy that you've done for yourself and obviously working with clients over the years that have been helpful for people that are managing a lot of anxiousness right now? Well, first of all, I think there are two kinds of anxiety. So people think that there are good feelings and bad feelings. They place a value judgment on them. And all feelings are good feelings because they tell us what we want. So if you're sad, it says, wait a minute, something is not working here. And let me figure out what that is. If you pretend you're not sad, then you're never going to work out the thing that's not working. Um, Same with anxiety. And there's also, there are different kinds of anxiety and some anxiety is really good and healthy and, and helpful. So there's productive anxiety and there's unproductive anxiety. Productive anxiety is when you're reasonably worried about something and it motivates you to take action Um, to protect yourself. So for example, during COVID, we were reasonably worried about getting the coronavirus. So we wore masks, we socially distanced, we did all the things to protect ourselves. If we weren't worried about it, we would have put ourselves and others in danger. So unproductive anxiety, on the other hand, is obsessive rumination. 
It's where you are catastrophizing and futurizing. You're imagining scenarios in the future that haven't happened yet and may never happen. In in COVID, it might have been like checking the headlines every hour when you don't need to check them every hour. There's nothing new in that hour, right? Um, There are ways in which we can ruminate on something that makes us anxious where it doesn't motivate us to do anything different than we're already doing. So if you're already, for example, you know, wearing masks and socially distancing and doing those things, reading the headlines every hour isn't going to change your behavior to keep you safe. You're already keeping yourself safe. And we can apply that to any situation in just daily life, you know, these sort of seemingly minor situations where, um, you know, we ruminate, we obsess, and it doesn't really help us to take action in any way that's productive. So you really need to ask yourself, is the anxiety that I'm feeling productive? And is it is it um, motivating me to do something that will help me to protect myself from whatever this threat is? Or am I just spinning? Is there a circus going on in my head and it's not really doing anything for me? Mm. And if you are just spinning or feel like you're spiraling downward, what is a way to like catch yourself so that it doesn't continue versus, you know, like, yeah, what are some maybe techniques or things that could be helpful for someone that feels like they're just really in this downward spiral? Well, I think a lot of that rumination and obsession is about being in the past or the present. So where does your mind go? It goes to something that happened in the past, like, oh, I wish I hadn't done that, or I wish this had worked out differently or whatever it is. Um, and, um, and then there's the, the being in the future, like this is what's going to happen or this terrible thing's going to happen or what if it doesn't work out the way I want it to. And so in the moment, I would say it's really important for people to stay in the present. And that's where you're going to stay in reality a little bit more, which is, okay, I could feel my feet on the floor here. Let me just go up my body. I feel my knees. I'm going to put my knees together. I feel those. And you just get yourself grounded back. What is happening in the present moment? So you're not time traveling backwards or forwards. And that will help you to stop the obsession and the rumination. Ooh, so good. Okay. What about for, I told you I was just going to kind of ask you some random questions. Okay. So what about to a woman listening to this who is, knows like in her gut, she feels in her body, she wants to make this change or she wants to maybe start that business or change career paths or do something that feels really aligned to her, but she's catching herself like um, kind of catastrophizing or thinking like, well, what if I suck at this? Or what if it doesn't work out? What are some ways that you help clients that you've worked with, or even yourself personally, when you know that you need to do something, um, but you feel like your, your brain's not letting you do that. Like, how do you kind of work with yourself to, to make the changes that you know you feel aligned to make? Well, again, I think it's really important to understand what the fear is because there are different kinds of fears that are holding you back. Um, and so to really be able to pinpoint and be specific about what that fear is. And then I think to be able to embrace uncertainty, which we need to do whether we're making changes or not. Um, so, and by the way, I think just going through life every day, we're making changes. Yeah. But I do think that a lot of people talk about tolerating uncertainty and I am not talking about tolerating uncertainty. I'm talking about actually embracing it. There's a big difference between tolerating something and embracing it. And to really say, this is exciting and, um, you know, and to know that when you go into a place of uncertainty, there's possibility. There's no possibility for anything new if you just stay in the same place all the time. 
I hope you are loving this conversation with Lori as much as I am. I just wanted to share with you real quick our sponsor of today's show because I love them. And if you haven't heard of them yet or checked out their products, I want to make sure you're in the loop. The company is called Organifi and they've got an entire line of organic superfood blends plant-based nutrition, and supplements. Everything that I've tried is honestly absolutely incredible. Really high quality ingredients, really great taste. Nothing in their entire product line has more than three grams of sugar, and it's also a really affordable price. And honestly, all the products that I've tried from their superfood teas to their protein to their green juice, like they're just really great products. And their vanilla protein, I will just tell you, is my favorite protein that I've ever tried. And I think it's really incredible to get a high quality protein that in this case, the Organifi protein has only two grams of sugar and 20 grams of protein, but it doesn't taste chalky. Like it tastes really freaking good. Also, their green juice is one of my obsessions. I put it into my smoothies, but you could also drink it on the side and just like stir it up with water because it tastes really good too. And I highly recommend checking out all of their products. You can actually get 20% off as a listener of this show. If you head to Organifi.com slash Keisha, you can use code Keisha to check out any of their products for 20% off. That's Organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com slash Keisha and use code Keisha for 20% off any item in their store. And you can check the show notes for the link. Or of course, if you have any questions about any specific products and you want to chat about it, slide into my DMs on Instagram. I got your back, girl. Now, without further ado, let's dive back into today's conversation with Lori. When you wrote the book, obviously there's lots of things that you could do. You could have kept working with like patients more one-on-one and, and, but instead you decided to take a huge chunk out of your life and time to write this book. So was it like, you know, you had this book idea on your heart as it started to morph from the previous book that you were writing and you were like, this is the right thing to do. Like, how did you know that it was the right thing for you to do? Um, I knew because my body was telling me that the anxiety, the depression, um, you know, I, the happiness book was literally just, um, I, I couldn't get myself to do it. And when I finally did, I I ended up writing like three fourths of the book and I just, it was, it was such a slog. And, um, and there was something else that I knew I wanted to be doing. There was something else where I felt like I wanted to communicate something. I wanted this book to be meaningful and it was, you know, it, it, the reason I tell the story and maybe you should talk to someone of how this book came about is because it had a lot to do with what I was struggling with in my life at the time, which was meaning and purpose. And the happiness book was not contributing to meaning and purpose in my life. And um, I didn't think it would contribute in the ways that I wanted it to, to other people's lives in the way that maybe you should talk to someone would. And then as we've seen has, and it's funny because when I, when I canceled the other book, everyone thought I was crazy. And I said, I want to write this book about, you know, people in therapy and, and they, and the publishers were like, oh, no one's going to read that. <laughs> and so when I turned in the surprise, book, surprise, right, well, <laughs> they're no, wrong. Spent like over a year on the New York Times bestseller list, it sold over a million copies so far. I mean, it's, it's being made into a television series. Um, you know, people really found themselves in the stories in the book. They saw themselves in every single patient, including me, all five of us. Um, in, in ways that were incredibly enlightening and helpful to them. And I think it's funny because when I turned in the book to my publisher, a lot of people say, well, you know, did you feel um, apprehensive about revealing so much about yourself in the book? And I said, well, no, I thought like three people were going to read it. So, you know, everyone <laughs> told me no one's going to read it. So I just let it rip. Well, you know, who cares? Um, and then I turned it into my publisher and they 
were saying things like, oh my gosh, I laughed, I cried, I gave it to, you know, 10 people, I, I talked about it, I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I thought, okay, well, maybe 300 or 3,000 people will read it and maybe I should clean myself up a little bit. But I didn't clean myself up. And I think that the reason it has resonated with so many people all over the world is that I didn't try to hide the truth of who I was. The whole point yes. of the book was about authenticity and vulnerability and, and how that's the place from which we grow. And so um, it's very raw, it's very honest. And, um, and I'm so glad that I had no idea what a success it would be <laughs> because yeah. I think I would have been very self-conscious on the page. Yeah. It's so interesting how often we are worried about, you know, how we're going to present ourselves, but it's like the very thing that you were worried about, thankfully you didn't know, like, Hey, you're going to write this book. A million people are going to read it and you polish yourself up because people wouldn't have resonated with it in such a deep, impactful way. So I'm so glad that you did. And it's such a permission slip that everybody needs to give to themselves to just be more honest because that's what we're really craving as humans, right? Yeah, that's right. And I think part of it too has to do with a lot of what I talk about in the book about kindness to ourselves. Yes. That, you know, I think we're, we can be so self-critical, even reading the book and reading what I wrote in the book, you know, there's a, there's a tendency to say, oh my gosh, that's so embarrassing what I wrote, but, but it's human. And when I give talks and I'm, you know, I'm on a stage and I'll, I'll say to the audience, show of hands, who is the person that you talk to most in the course of your life? Is it your partner? Get lots of hands. Is it your sister? Is it your mother? Is it your best friend? Right? Lots of hands. But the person that we talk to most in the course of our lives is ourself. And what we say to ourselves isn't always kind or true or useful. So I had this therapy client who came in and every week she would just make these self-deprecating comments. She was so self-critical, but she didn't realize it. And I said, listen, I want you to go home and listen for that voice in your head and write down everything you say to yourself over the course of a few days and come back next week and we'll talk about it. So she comes back the following week. She's diligently done her assignment and she starts to read and she starts crying and she says, I can't read this. I am such a bully to myself. Mm. And they were things like she caught her reflection in a mirror um, when she was walking down the street, like in a store window. And she said to herself, you look terrible today. Right. And, she, you know, you would never if, if her friend saw her, they would never think she looked terrible. If anyone on the street saw her, they would not think that. Or she was typing an email and she, she, you know, mistyped a word and she said, oh, you're such an idiot. The ways that we talk to ourselves are so cruel. We would never talk to anyone we loved or cared about in the ways that we talk to ourselves. And so I think it's really important when we talk about all the things we've talked about today, suffering, change, growth, um, risk, you know, all of those things, anxiety, um, the number one thing that you have to start with is kindness, self-compassion, because self-compassion not only helps you to move forward, but self-compassion breeds compassion for others. So it actually helps you in your relationships with other people. If you can be kinder to yourself, you will be kinder to others. So true. Oh, okay. The last thing I wanted to ask you just, you know, two cents on to a woman that's listening to this, who feels like she is in the middle of just a really, really tough season in her life right now. And she's just trying to like get through it. What advice would you give to her? The, the, the reason that I'm answering like a therapist, which is that I can't give you a specific answer is it completely depends on what is tough. 
And I think that even in the last year, when you've seen how people have reacted to what we would consider a universal stressor, right? So there's this global pandemic, everybody reacts differently to it. And so what's hard for some people is something that's very different than what's hard for another person. And so I think that this is why I, I, I feel like going to therapy and I don't recommend therapy. Like I'm not proselytizing therapy. I don't think everybody needs to go to therapy, but I think there's this stigma that therapy is for people who are really, really suffering. And it's not therapy is like getting a really good second opinion on your life from someone who's not already in your life. And the reason that's important is because in the book, I talk about the difference between idiot compassion and wise compassion. Idiot compassion is what our friends do. We say, here's what happened with this person and isn't it terrible? And then your friend says, yeah, they're they're wrong. You're right. It's terrible. Even though you might notice that your friend has been in a situation like this many times. It's kind of like if a fight breaks out in every bar you're going to, maybe it's you. We don't say that to our friends, right? Because we <laughs> so feel like true. we're going to be unsupportive. But but that's not maybe the most helpful thing for that. So wise compassion is what a therapist offers, which is that we hold up a mirror to you and help you to see something about yourself that maybe you haven't been willing or able to see. And that's where the growth happens. That's where the change happens. So when you say, you know, someone's been going through a tough time in their life, well, Talking to a therapist can really help you unpack, well, what is really going on? And is this a manifestation of something that maybe happened earlier and it's now intensified or amplified by the current situation? Or is this something completely new? And to really get clarity on what's going on, I think that there's no better place to do that than by talking to a therapist. I couldn't agree more. Oh, thank you so much, Lori, for sharing your wisdom with us today. Thank you for the work that you put out into the world. Can you tell everybody how they can find you, how they can connect with you more? Sure. Um, they can find me at lauriegottlieb.com. They can find me on Instagram at lauriegottlieb underscore author. I'm also on Twitter, lauriegottlieb1. They can listen to my podcast, which is called Dear Therapists. And it's me and a fellow therapist, Guy Winch. And it's kind of like I, I have an advice column in the Atlantic called Dear Therapist. He is the advice columnist for TED. And what we do is people write in a letter, but you get to hear an actual session where they get two therapists instead of one. And we do an actual session with the letter writer. And then at the end, we give them concrete, actionable advice that they have one week to try out. And then they report back to us. So unlike in our advice columns where you don't know what happened after the advice was given, here you get to hear an actual session and then you get to find out, well, how did it go? What happened afterward? And I and the feedback that we've gotten so far is that most people feel like no matter what the issue, even if it's not an issue that they share, they've learned something about themselves from the advice that we've given. I love that. Thank you so much for doing that. Like you are changing the lives of thousands at this point, millions of people. So thank you for how you show up in the world. I am so grateful um, for your example. So thank you again for being here. Everybody go check her out. Get Maybe you should talk to someone and let us know what you think of today's episode over on Instagram. Thank you so much, Lori. Thanks so much for the conversation. Thank you so much for listening in. If you love this episode, it would mean so much to me if you shared it with a girlfriend, like send it to her right now or post it on social media and tag me so I can personally thank you for helping me get the message out. I am so freaking grateful to be on this journey with you, girl. So until next time, I'll talk to you soon.